Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hello, church. Hey, is it, um, is it not wonderful to be part of the church of Jesus Christ? Just to kind of sit back and soak in the fact that God willingly, voluntarily uh, paid a ransom for us, hostages held in captivity by our sin that outraged His holiness, yet He went and paid the price. So just this time of season, what a reason to rejoice. We truly do. Well, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke. Chapter 5 will be in verse 12 and go through verses 15. Lord, today we need to come to you, Jesus. We need to hear from you. We need the guidance of your Holy Spirit. We need the direction of your word. And we need your touch, your compassion, your mercy, Lord, because we are a needy people. And if we have the wisdom to admit it and to come to you in humility, we will not go away disappointed. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the most unknown of the Hawaiian islands is Molokai. It is relatively undeveloped in comparison to its sister islands of Oahu, Kauai, and Maui. Uh, Molokai is called the Friendly Island. It's uh, quiet, it's reserved, it's, of course, tropical. Everything you could expect from Polynesia, warm Pacific trade winds, and quiet nights. Um, paradise for some, but not for a couple of hundred residents who lived there in the late 1800s because they had been exiled there by King Kamehameha IV. They were lepers. They were sent to a leper colony on Molokai where they lived in deplorable conditions. They eked out a living, their bodies deteriorating under the ravages of leprosy, and they were exiled from all society, and they suffered greatly. And then a missionary from Belgium named Damien voluntarily elected to move to Molokai and minister to the needs of the leper colony there. And he served them, he raised their standard of living, helped them build buildings, taught them how to farm and garden, and began to live a better quality of life. Loved them, served them, caught their disease, and died with them at the age of 49. We know him as the leper priest of Molokai, Father Damien. I have a connection with that because in my Hawaiian hippie days in the late 70s, just about a month before I came to Christ at a little church in Lahaina, I was hitchhiking around Molokai by myself. And the natives didn't take much to that in those days. And around sunset one evening, a car full of young boys pulled up to me and said, Hey, Howley, get off our island. I had nowhere to go. I've been camping on the beach. So I, I sought refuge that night. And I pulled into a church. They pulled in. I was walking and um, slept under the lanai, the porch there. And woke up in the morning, come to find out, reading the plaques and literature, I was staying at Father Damien's church at the former leper colony on, on Molokai. And the irony wasn't lost on me later as I became a Christian and read the Gospels that I had sought refuge at a leper colony. 
And uh, so we read in verse 12 of chapter 5 in Luke, it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and implored him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The need here is tremendous on the part of this man. I want to take some time to reinforce with you the devastation of the disease of AIDS. Now, to give you some comparison of all the diseases we face in our modern world, perhaps none is more dreaded, none is more feared, none is more stigmatized than AIDS the Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome. That is the closest parallel I can bring to you to the power of of, of leprosy. In its severest form, leprosy was contagious, it was incurable, it was for the most part fatal. It, it, It devastated people with immense social, physical, and religious implications. Um, It was once thought that leprosy ate the flesh of the victims. That turned out not to be true. Dr. Paul Brand was a hand surgeon and a missionary. He spent a good bit of time in the leper colonies of India. And he observed that the damage that came to some of the flesh uh, was caused by the, the desensitization of the nerves that the disease brought. And they would actually reach into a fire and pick up a hot coal, oblivious to the pain and to the damage it was doing to their, their flesh and to their tissue. And they would deal with sharp objects and slice themselves. And much of the damage came from the infection and the ensuing difficulties that, that came from hurting themselves. But they would often rub off their ears without knowing it. They would sprain their ankles and walk for weeks unaware of what it was, the deformity was causing to their limbs. And so the, the horrific nature of leprosy leads us to know that once a person realized they had leprosy, Nothing was ever the same. It changed everything. Immediately they were shunned, they were segregated, they were put into social exile. Even from a biblical standpoint, Leviticus tells us a leper is to be separated. They must go downwind 150 paces, the rabbi said. But scripture says they must, among other things, shout unclean, unclean when they come upon parts of healthy society. And so Josephus said lepers were to be considered dead men. In medieval times, they actually held funeral services for those who were victims of leprosy. And so it was really a horrific living death to be a leper. In the New Testament, lepers were barred from even entering Jerusalem or any of the walled cities. And so in verse 12, we find big bold letters, the need. This man was in deep need because look at the modifying word in verse 12, the kind of leprosy, the stage, rather, of leprosy he was in. The Bible says he was full of leprosy. And from a standpoint of the original language, that means it was all over him. This is leprosy in full bloom. This is a man completely debilitated by the disease. If you want a further picture, go home, open up Google, put in leper, and click on images and then be prepared to be shocked what can happen to a human body while still living. This dreaded disease gave people claws for hands and feet. I want to just make sure I'm I'm giving you the strong symbolism that was happening to the outside of this body, that we can relate to that. But let's see how the Bible says he came to his contact with Jesus. He came hopelessly. 
And you and I have experienced different periods of our life where we have come to states of hopelessness financially, medically, relationally, emotionally. This man was at that stage at every possible level. He was utterly and totally hopeless, and that led to humility. He had no self-respect, no dignity. He came face down, and he implored. The word is begged Jesus. He was desperate. He had no other choice, nowhere else to go. But fortunately, he came to the right place, the only place to go. He came to the Savior. And Matthew adds, telling the story, he came worshiping, so he came faithfully. He came with the right attitude. He came with the right heart. And then we move from the need in verse 12 to the touch in verse 13. Look at it with me. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. Be cleansed. And we see God is not reluctant to touch us. God wants an intimate relationship with his people. Uh, The shepherd frequently touched his sheep. He tapped them with his rod. He kept them in line. He let them know he was there. He encouraged them. He cared for them. He groomed them. He checked them for parasites. He watched for predators. He kept them away from poison weeds. He, He was in touch with his sheep. How close are you to the shepherd? What part of the flock do you fall in? You know, some people have that initial touch with God, and and much of the rest of their Christian walk is incidental contact. We come and hear stories about great men and women who had close relationships with God, and we marvel. We read books about people who experience God, and we, we think that's tremendous. And our Christian life is one of being a spectator, watching other people, experience God. And that is not the Lord's intent. The New Testament is clear. God intends for a personal, practical, intimate relationship with you. So where are you at with the flock today? Now, if I were to personify or put John into a a sheep's clothing, I'd see John with his head on the master's lap and Jesus stroking his head and just really caring for him and encouraging him. You know, you can see Peter sheep wearing a black leather jacket, cigarette dangling from his lips, out on the fringes, walking around, but still part of the flock, kind of patrolling the adventure, some type sheep. Maybe that's where you're at. Like they, you don't want to kind of be caught in the middle of the flock like everyone else. How close are you to the shepherd today? How often does he touch you? How often do you allow him to reach out and, and really reassure you of his presence? As I look at the hand of God in the Bible, and it kind of intrigues me where the hand of God shows up, because that's what we see in verse 13. He put out his hand and touched him. We see in the Old Testament, the hand of God is a symbol for the power of God, being at the right hand of God, the strong arm of God coming to Israel's defense, defending God's people. We also see overtly intruding in humanity several times in the Old Testament. God formed man out of the clay, a, a potter's picture in Jeremiah. We see that when the flood came, the Bible says that God closed the door on the ark. That's interesting, signifying that when judgment comes, God will decide its finality. And then, tenderly, when Moses died, the Bible says that the Lord buried him. Interesting. But by the time we come to the New Testament, God's hand is everywhere. Jesus is here with both hands. I want you to know you have a hands-on Savior. Maybe you've worked for a hands-off manager sometime, a person who sends dictates through emails and 
assistants give you orders and he calls you into his office and it's always like being called in the principal. That's a hands-off manager. That's a cold, stern, uh, general type of a boss. I don't see Jesus like that. I think Jesus would do management by wandering around. I think he'd loosen his tie if he were one. And I think he would, he'd come into your cubicle with a cup of coffee, put his feet up on the, uh, on the stool there and just kind of say, how are things going? He'd be interested in an intimate conversation with you. He wouldn't keep that distance. He wouldn't have that ivory tower mentality. You have a kind of God who wants to touch you wherever you're at today. And I used to have a, uh, a friend who really had an odd kind of habit. Periodically, he would uh, just go like this. And uh, something good would happen, and he would just do one of these things. Say, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm just giving God five. <laughs> I can go with that. God wants to touch you. God wants to encourage you. Uh, we see that Jesus touched this man, and then the end of 13, please look after the comma, immediately the leprosy left him. So one moment, we have a guy full of leprosy, just in the worst possible human condition. And one instant later, the leprosy left him. Immediately, it was gone. When God wants to go to work, there is no stopping him. And the sores were gone, his feet and hands restored, his skin cleansed, his hair replaced. He was a healthy individual where one moment before he was part of the the walking dead. Immediately, the leprosy left him. And then Jesus gives him a, a difficult assignment. Verse 14, and Jesus charged him, tell no one. Have you ever had really good news and tried to keep it to yourself? Something really, really good, st- good happens to you. What's the first thing you do? Reach for your cell phone. I've got to tell somebody. Just try and keep something to yourself. You will burst. Well, Jesus has just healed him. His life has been turned upside down. Divinity has intruded upon the worst portion of humanity. But don't tell anybody. Fortunately for our ex-leper, he didn't have to. I mean, he went from being like this monstrosity being a healthy individual, he didn't have to tell them they saw the hand of God in his life. That's how it should be for us. When we are empowered by God to overcome self-destructive behavior, to end counterproductive relationships, to stop doing hurt to ourselves, to hindering our own spiritual progress by obeying the principles God has given us, it will become manifest around us. We'll begin to shine. We'll be healed of these these issues, and people will recognize we've been touched. And we'll have the opportunity to have that truth ripple out from our lives at home and at work and at school, and that's the genius of the mustard seed conspiracy that God has. Touching you, then you go out and touch others. We are an unstoppable force in this community. There's nothing that anyone can do to stop the people of, of this church who have been touched by the love and compassion of Christ from touching others. Do you know any lepers? Well, go out and touch them this week. If you've received the grace and and the compassion and mercy of Christ, don't keep it to yourself. Now, I want to ask you at this point to try and put yourself from those in the front row to the balcony to the overflow to the cafe, those listening by radio and Internet. Just try and put yourself for a moment in the place of that leper 
before Jesus touched him. Just imagine the severity of being in that mental frame of utter hopelessness, complete segregation, just everyone's given up on you. No one thinks there's any hope for you. Your body hurts. You've lived this life of depravity. It's possible no one had touched this man physically for years. Put yourself in that place just for a second and imagine the relief, the liberty, the freedom, the rush of freshness he experienced when Jesus touched him. And then I want you to realize that AIDS is not the worst disease you could ever have. Leprosy is not the worst disease you could ever have. Because the markers, the indicators for disease are dictated by two things. Diagnosis and prognosis. Diagnosis is when a skilled member of the medical community observes your symptoms, excludes possibilities, and arrives at a diagnosis the probable problem that you have. That's a diagnosis. They, they say, here is the illness, here is the disease, here is your problem. But the next stage is equally as important. The prognosis, that's the prediction. That's when they take the curve of where you're at and predict it forward as to what's going to happen with your disease. And in this case, it's always fatal. In the case of HIV, when it is full-blown, it's always fatal at this point. In fact... For leprosy, you might not know this, but it really wasn't cured until the 1960s toward 1970. They had an arresting treatment in 1940. There are 5 million lepers still today on earth. It's still the most common cause. It's preventable of blindness on earth. In many of the third world countries, very rampant. But I want to say to you that leprosy is not the worst disease. We all have the worst disease. Because here's the diagnosis. All have sinned. We are all deeply committed to sin. And the prognosis, the wages of sin, is death. That is a prediction of what will happen to everybody. You know, people speculate about life on other planets, intelligent life in the solar system. I watch some TV programs, and I doubt there's intelligent life in Hollywood. <laughs> but so I can't really tell you about Saturn or Neptune. Um, but here's my theory. I think the planet Earth is in quarantine. I think whatever is out there is not getting in because we are an aberration. We are an offense. We are an outrage to the economy of God, to his kingdom. God's economy traffics in love, forgiveness, peace, compassion, joy, mercy. Our economy is in self-interest, self-obsession, sensuality, pleasure, bitterness, revenge, unforgiveness. It's outrageous. It's an offense to God. And so he's going to set things right. He's going to close the door on the ark again and change things dramatically. So for the time being, we live in temporary bodies on a disposable planet for a very short time. And someday we'll see it right, and God will do that. So the severity of our sin is terminal. So don't look with pity on a leper. Realize we need to have pity upon the whole world. I think we live on an on a earth that is a, a six-billion-member leper colony. 
And the disease is just so common and so rampant of sin, we just take it for granted. We just see everybody in their condition and people doing devastating things to each other in countries at war with each other. And we think it's just normal human condition. And God's not going to tolerate it permanently. So he's made a plan. But if you have any doubt, and maybe I'm exaggerating or taking this a little too far, oh, leprosy internally is what the human condition of the heart is, don't take my word for it. Listen to this. The heart is deceitful above all things. You can fill in the blank with your heart, my heart. Desperately wicked, who can know it? God saw in Genesis the wickedness of man, listen, was great in the earth, and further, every imagination of his thoughts were evil continually. Sound familiar? The Bible is universal in the prognosis that sin is a plague of the worst possible dimension. Paul wrote, We once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. We were by nature children of wrath. That's the condemnation blanket across the human race. We are all unclean things, our righteousness like filthy rags. Have I made my point? Must we go to Romans 1? Okay, I think we get it. The, the human condition is such. And leprosy is a very accurate word picture on the outside, on the condition of our human heart on the inside. So what do we take from this text? We see that he was in great need, he was touched by a great Savior, and he took a great message to a needy world. And the results in verse 15 were, However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. It had repercussions. It had implications. This man looked up and saw the face of God. Can you imagine the people who were healed of blindness by Jesus? The first sight they ever glimpsed, the face of Jesus. Likewise, this man looked up and saw the face of his Savior touching him compassionately and in a powerful way. Do you want to have the best Christmas you've ever had? I'm sure we do. I'm sure as parents we like to give our children the best gifts possible. I, I, I want to give my kids more things. If, if, more than I can give them. I have a little idiosyncrasy. I like to save the best, biggest gifts for last. So I hide them behind the tree. And that worked when the kids were little. But after 30 years, they've kind of caught on. Like, okay, Dad, we know we have to bring on the good stuff. Bring out the big one. And so I think God is the same way. But he's not just wants to give us good gifts. He's able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all you can ask or think. So what's the best Christmas ever for you to be touched by his love? And that sounds kind of generic, commonplace. So let's try to put it in a better perspective, a better light. We know God loved the world, gave his son for it. That's the threshold for salvation. It's magnificent. But God loves us individually. That too is true. doesn't quite bring it home to 2008. Let's try this. God is in love with you. doesn't just love you reluctantly. He is in love with you. The evidence is undeniable. He paid the ultimate price. And that's a new spin. His thoughts towards you are more than the sands of the sea every day. He's not just this distant God. He's an intimate, involved Savior. So look up at that face and realize 
of all the things Jesus touched on earth, the children, the lepers, the paralyzed people, all the things he touched, perhaps the most startling and stunning thing that he touched with his hands was the cross. That he stretched out his hands on that cross and willingly allowed them to be pierced by nails. That's staggering. That's evidence of his love. That's the postcard from heaven that Jesus sent documenting his love for you and for I. Well, as you look up, realize God is deeply in love with you. And we do see a strong parallel here. Um, There's a connection between leprosy externally and sin, the damages thereof internally. They they changed the name of leprosy as modern days rolled on because the stigma of calling somebody a leper was powerful. They changed it to Hansen's disease. And other people even called it with lion's disease, like, like the animal, lion's disease. Not because it made the victim noble, but because it changed them into a creature, a, a beast, their visage. And connect the dots here with me. Jesus, before his crucifixion, was beaten to a pulp, pulverized by the Roman soldiers. And the Bible says he was unrecognizable as a man. But get this, Jesus became a monster so you wouldn't have to be one. Because sin makes us into monsters. It makes us capable of doing such unspeakable evils it's difficult to even face. And some of us today are carrying around things we haven't unlocked in a very long time. Doors in our life that are closed, even, even to the hand of God, we think. Things we can't face, therapy can't get to, medication can't numb, But God wants to touch and relieve and bring freedom because the Bible says the truth will set you free. And God wants you to be free in him, indeed. Unforgiveness, bitterness, pain, suffering things you've gone through, endured unfairly, unjustly, or inflicted on others in the same way, God can touch them, take them, heal them today. This is where God changes lives. Now, We know in the Christian community there's a lot of materials available, a lot of conferences and retreats we can go to and information we can get, outlines we can keep. Very often we go places and have retreats and go to the mountains and and we recognize the deficiencies in our life and we say, God, we're going to change. We're going to come down out of this conference different. We're going to do it differently. And we, we engage God at the emotional level. And next year we find ourselves back at the same retreat trying to change again, repenting of the same sins. And God will hear your prayer. But may I suggest to you, instead of some multi-step program, you take God's one-step program to the foot of the cross from wherever you're at. One step forward. That's where he changes life. Gaze up. Live in the shadow of that cross. Look at his face. See his hands and his feet. Be aware of what he paid for you. The power of the cross. That's where God does his work. Now, I'm afraid the church is diluting this message, omitting the awkwardness of the cross to its own hurt, to our own failure. This is where the power is found. The Bible is not shy. It's bold to declare the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's a stumbling block to some. But Paul said, I am determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. God forbid 
Paul wrote, that he should boast of anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, he said, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's the power of change. It's the only place it can happen because your carnal nature will, will negotiate with you. It'll manipulate you. It'll tell you lies like, oh, just one more time. One more time and that's it. You're done with that habit. You're absolutely going to throw it away after this time. Or the spiritual veneer. Oh, I'll behave. I'll go to church with you. I'll go anywhere with you. Except Calvary, the one place that can kill me. The only threat to your carnal nature, to your unforgiveness, your bitterness, your fruits of the flesh that we've all tasted of so bitterly, is the cross of Calvary. It's the only place that can kill it. Your will can't do it. Your emotions can't do it. Your promises won't do it. No one can do it except the power of the cross. This is where God will meet you and save you. Well, we have to realize that lepers were considered untouchables. In the, in the Hindu caste system, that'd be the equivalent. They were untouchable literally and figuratively. And we have some people in our society that the church considers untouchable. And that's unfortunate and unnecessary. I hope that in 2009, Calvary of Albuquerque, the people of this church, the people of the Christian community of Albuquerque in New Mexico become famous, become famous for reaching out to the untouchables, the downtrodden, the AIDS victims, the alcoholics, homosexuals, the adulterers, people with broken hearts, broken families, broken lives. We need to be a refuge We need to be a sanctuary to think that somehow, ooh, we're better lepers than they are. Huge hypocrisy. We need to be known as a light. And I tell you, we won't have much competition. Nobody's rushing out to touch these people. We'll pretty much be first in line. We can corner the market on forgiving our enemies, reaching out to those who have despitefully used us, being willing to live out the the Great Commission. We'll have a lot of freedom, a lot of open doors. Oh, people talking about change in America. Oh, there's change coming all right. Huge change. The Bible says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And unless your life is built on the rock, you will be shaken. And there's change coming. And we need to be certain where our priorities and our foundations are set. We need to be known as a place and a people who have been touched by Jesus and are willing to share that touch. That's what I want to be famous for. I don't want them to know about our campus or our slick campaigns or our clever advertising. I want them to know that Jesus has touched us and we're not going to keep it to ourselves. So this man looked up and then he got up and told people, but on the way, he had to pick up. Because when Jesus was preparing to go to Jerusalem, he told a puzzling thing to his disciples. He said, if you're going to follow me, you have to pick up your cross daily and come after me. And anyone not willing to do that is not worthy of me. That's what a disciple does, picks up his cross daily. What does that look like in your life? To pick up your cross daily. It means death to self, death to being noticed, death to wanting to have credit, death to human fruits of the fallen nature. That's when God really begins to flow through your life. When you're carrying his cross and you're no longer concerned about your own dignity and reputation and self-respect, that's when God begins to move because you're following Jesus. 
It means, it means a new purpose in your life. It means that you, you have gone beyond, beyond a substandard kind of Christian life. Paul was determined that the people he taught and loved would go on to full maturity. God wants you to pick up your cross and grow up, to put away childish things and to experience personally, individually, each of you listening today, the power and impact of his touch in your life. Well, I told you initially the opening illustration was about Molokai, a Hawaiian island. Let me do a bookend at the close here about another Hawaiian island you probably haven't heard of. It's called Nihihau. And let me tell you the story from the New York Times, in fact, verbatim in 2002, that told about the death of one of the residents of that island because King Kamehameha IV, the Times writes, offered this English family of Christians, the Robinsons, several parcels of land when they wanted to purchase part of Hawaii, including one stretch from what became downtown Honolulu to Diamond Head. We know it as Waikiki. But they turned it down in order to buy an entire island, paying $10,000 in gold for this island in 1864. The family, the Times writes, who were strict Calvinists, required all residents of the island to attend congregational church services on Sunday. This was easy, the Times says, because missionaries had converted them to Christianity 40 years before. End of quote. So, paradise found. We own our own island. I mean, they could have had Waikiki, but they have their own island. This is not some rock like a Hoolave. This is a real Hawaiian island. And they had it controlled. And from that day, people, to this, without their permission, no one except the U.S. military is allowed to land on Nihihau, except this family. And they aren't held captive there. They have a helicopter. They go back and forth to Kauai when they want to. But it is their little slice of paradise. No one gets in. They are in trouble by the cares of the world as much as is humanly possible. And they live there in peace and comfort and, and, and perfection. So... Over here, we have this island, Nihihau, with the Robinson family. Over here, we have Molokai, the leper colony, Damien the missionary living there, becoming one of them, living like them, meeting their needs, living and dying with them. So, as one leper to another, let me get up close and personal with you for a minute. Which island do you try to live on in your Christian walk? Are you trying to live this life of comfort, this zone of protection, walking with the Lord, but really not being intruded upon by the, the pain and suffering and conflict of the world? Trying to separate yourself and have this isolated island? Or are you willing to live where the world lives, where the lepers live? Pain, deprivation, neglect, condemnation, hopelessness. Are you willing to bring the touch of Jesus into that arena? Well, as you make your decision for how you're going to prioritize 2009 before you come to a conclusion which island you're trying to create in your life, filter it through this story as we close. That's a snapshot. Stay with me for this. Second Kings tells us there was a time when a, four other lepers were caught between a rock and a hard place. The Syrian army attacking the Samaria, Samaria Samaritan city under great famine, people eating their own children. The Syrians were brutal people. These lepers were starving to death. And they said, well, back in 2 Kings, they said, well, if we stay here, we're going to die. 
We go in the city, they're starving to death, we'll die. We go in the Syrian camp, they might kill us, but they might feed us. They might as well go in. What they didn't know is in the middle of the night, God had supernaturally startled the Syrian army and chased them away, and they had fled, abandoning everything in place. You can read the story yourself in Second Kings. But the point is, they get it in the morning, and these four lepers you know, wandering into these camps and not knowing what's... It's very quiet. All of a sudden, they're realizing, no one's here. And there's food, and there's treasure, and there's clothing. And they're, you know, they're eating food, and they're throwing, throwing uh, steak bones over their head and having a great time. And then finally, they say, wait a minute. What we're doing is not good. This is a day of good news. We need to share it with the king's household. That's the mentality of the Robinson Island. And so that's not to be our worldview. That's not to be the perspective we have. In the short time remaining for you, be careful to make your decisions about 2009 in the grid of that information. Well, one final question. Besides those you see around work and those you see around our community. There are many people in such deep need, so many spiritual lepers in our community. The lesson from this leper in Luke is to go out and touch one this week. Let me close with this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, It's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person that you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you might be tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now only meet in a nightmare. All day long, we are all in some degree helping each other to one of these destinations. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your touch. And as we pause here, Lord, there are some who need, perhaps for the first time, to appropriate the power of the cross in their life and to allow it to free them from sin, to do its wonderful work of dispatching the scarlet nature of our heart and making us as white as snow. And Lord, we'll trust the Holy Spirit to lead them in that transaction. Lord, for others today who have walked with you and are in your flock, they have carried a burden that's not meant for human life, Lord. Pain, suffering, sorrow that you died for. Help them to release that burden to you right now. Whatever it might be, Lord, they keep their own counsel. But, Lord, with the power of your Spirit, I pray you'd unlock that door and allow fresh living water to torrentially clean out, Lord, the debris we've allowed to stack up over the years. Lord, we so much appreciate the liberty you bring to us through Jesus Christ, and we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.